Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois, and I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend, and the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Steve Albini is a recording engineer, musician, songwriter, and poker player based in his longtime home of Chicago, Illinois. The guitarist and one of three singers and songwriters in the band Shellac, Albini also owns and helps operate the Electrical Audio Recording Facility, and he is the proud winner of two World Series of Poker bracelets. Every year in December, Albini participates in Letters to Santa an initiative of poverty alleviation charities, which is spearheaded by his wife, Heather Winna, and aims to collect donations from people like you and me and get that money directly to people in need without any messy bureaucratic delays. Starting at 6 p.m. on December 19th, 2022, the annual 24-hour variety show that commemorates Letters to Santa takes place live at a venue called Constellation in Chicago, and this entire event can be streamed online. This year's iteration features a mix of live, in-person, and virtual performances and appearances by the likes of Dave Grohl, Bonnie Prince Billy, Jeff Tweedy, Sally Timms and John Lankford, Jack McBrayer, Ty Siegel, Nina Nastasia, Fred Armisen, Albini himself, and many, many others, including several very funny improv performers, all of which you can learn more about at 24hourmarathon.org. 
Steve and I connected again for a wide-ranging discussion about things like uh, what's new at Electrical Audio, what it was like doing some pandemic touring with Shellac, and the latest on the band's forthcoming album, wondering about Bob Weston and the consistent approach of Shellac, American politics, Republican trickery, and whether the Democrats' achievements are really worth celebrating. The current state of Twitter and his engagement with it, winning his second World Series of Poker bracelet recently, and his status among professional players, how Dave Grohl is doing these days, and what's up with Letters to Santa this year, current things he likes, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control which is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this podcast every week. Thanks again for supporting the show, if you can, at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. With additional support from Blackbird Music, an excellent record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders or find things you're looking for. Say you want to order the entire discography by Shellac of North America. You go to blackbird.ca and you type in, just type in Shellac, and then uh, it'll tell you what they can get, and uh, you can order it. It's great. Again, thanks uh, thanks again to Blackbird. Learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 741 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Steve Albini with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Great. Vish. I'm going to mispronounce your name specifically because you gave me the pronunciation prior. I'm going to mispronounce your name through the entire thing. Vish. Please don't call me Vish. I don't like it. It's not fun. No one likes it. It's it's embarrassing. For I feel like I always feel bad for the guest when they do it. I don't feel bad. I know who you're talking to. You know what I'm getting at? No, there's something interesting about names that are like like a non-intuitive for the person whose um, name's not in your native language or whatever. Yeah. There develops this thing where the person being addressed gradually adopts the mispronunciation as a nickname, like uh, which happened to... Huh. The band Van Halen, whose name is actually Van Halen, <laughs> and I, th- I think that's kind of incredible. Like their entire career is based on an American Americanized mispronunciation of a Dutch surname. I did not realize that myself. That's an interesting fact. I yeah, the it- the Van Halen brothers are are Dutch. They they were born yeah. in the Netherlands. They speak Dutch. They you know they had their early childhood in the Netherlands, and but the band is the band is called Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> which right. is kind of incredible. I uh, was given the nickname Vish by a kid named Mark Watson in kindergarten. He's like, I'm going to call you Vish. I'm like, that's fine, because my full name is Vishal. And that was complicated for the whites. So they, I went and, with... And like your family, do they call you Vishal? Or Vishal. Do they call you my Vish? mother, well, my oh. parents will call me Vishal, yes, or Vishal, whatever. But uh, we were watching, my wife likes those uh, uh, cooking shows. Uh, we were watching Canada's Top Chef. There's a contestant named Vish, goes by Vish, who so would say Vish on the thing, and he goes by Vish. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get messages from people being like, hey, you duped us, and I I, <laughs> I think Vish is stronger. Anyway, enough about me. It's nice to see you, Steve. Am I saying that correctly? 
Yep. <laughs> Bang on. <laughs> nice to have you back on the show. Uh, where in the world are you, first of all? I'm in Chicago, Illinois, the, the, my adopted home. And uh, I'm currently in a room, not a, not one of the studios, but in, in a, an ante room at Electrical Audio. This is specifically the room where we do the assembly of the direct boxes and other small electronics that we sell. But the, this formerly a dormitory room, we closed the dormitories at the start of the pandemic and we haven't reopened them. So we've been making use of those rooms for other studio purposes, tape baking and conditioning, uh, storage. This room has been converted for assembly of direct boxes and other electronics. Yes, I've seen uh, posts about those on Instagram and I find them intriguing. And I want to ask you about when that production line began in just a moment. Uh, just for uh, uh, time and space for myself, I've been to Electrical Audio once. I want to say the dormitories are on the second floor off the living Correct. room. Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah. That's too bad. I guess where bands staying when they come by now? Uh, typically at an Airbnb in the neighborhood. There are quite a few of them. This neighborhood was overbuilt with apartments during the housing boom. Um hmm. And there, and so the neighborhood is still like, you know, sick with empty apartments and almost all of them have been converted to Airbnbs. I see. Okay. Yeah. Chicago suffered a, in a particularly bizarre form of housing boom cycle where beautiful old, uh, two flats and three flats were being demolished because the vacant lot was worth more than the building, yeah. uh, at, during the housing boom. And then these, perverse and obscene, very cheap modern construction for flats were being put up and almost all of them were completed uh, in a panic to try to make make use of the available funding. But the, the bottom dropped out of the housing market very quickly. And so the, an awful lot of these things were never occupied. So there, oh. there are apartment buildings all over the city that were built and then were vacant and stayed vacant. And some of them will likely be demolished, never having been occupied. These are like infills. Are they like skinny? We call them skinnies here. I see it all the time. They demolish a, an older bungalow or a house, and then they put up like a what? They look like they're basically like little condos. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. The, there's all different, all sorts. But yes, that's a, that's one type of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Anyway, back to the assembly line because I've been intrigued by this. When did you guys get into the business of making these direct boxes and, and other things? Well, as a, as a matter of just like practical necessity, Greg Norman, our chief electronic engineer, and uh, before him, Soren Vitrup, who was his predecessor in that chair, made quite a lot of the equipment that we use in the studio. Not, you know, not the tape machines and consoles and stuff, but a lot of it ancillary equipment that you need for the, for the studio. It's very difficult to find something made, something of quality. Um, to use in that in those circumstances, almost everything that you can buy on the market has been made for a home recording price point and a ho home recording or you know sort of broadcast quality construction and so the sound quality isn't great they're not that durable they don't interface well with professional equipment so in addition to maintaining and repairing our arsenal of electronics and microphones, Greg Norman. Um, has designed and now builds uh, quite a lot of studio equipment that we use in the studio. The 
mic preamps that we use in in the studio. He's mm-hmm. designed and built those, and those are for sale. And I rely on those. I think they're fantastic. They're the most useful mic preamps I've ever worked with, and so I rely on them. Oh. And then we have other little esoteric things like a, a mid-side matrix amplifier. Like mid-side recording technique is a classic stereo recording technique that is slightly cumbersome to execute if you don't have a device that's built to multiplex the signal in that way. Mm. So Greg builds a, a lovely MS Matrix amplifier, which we ha- and we've got them installed in our studios here. They're available for sale, but we've you know we haven't sold. We, I mean, I'd be surprised if we've sold a dozen of them. You know? I see. Okay, so this is all like uh, handmade stuff ostensibly yep. and and the other things like the direct boxes do they sell a fair quantity um the direct boxes specifically because they're not that expensive and also because greg they're there's something that's sort of universally useful yeah greg like makes a little announcement on the instagram yeah. or something like that like yeah we're gonna do another run of direct boxes get at me if you want one and so it's almost a subscription basis yeah. like where people will like uh, oh, you're making direct boxes again? Uh, get me a couple, you know, that that sort of thing. I see. It's not like we have an inventory and products on the shelf, <laughs> but um, so it's they're done in batches and they're sold in batches. And uh, yeah. Okay. No, that's. I'm not, I'm not going to do any salesmanship, but <laughs> no, I'm, no. Part- I, I'm, I am particularly fond of these no, direct boxes. As you should be. And I, I, like I say, I see it on the Instagram and I've been curious about it myself. So over the past, uh, definitely in the past couple of years when you've been on, we've. Uh, uh, talked about what the state of things have been like uh, in the world, in America, and also at electrical audio. Why don't we start with electrical? Uh, it seems to me, based on Instagram again and uh, posts, that it's busier, busy, busy again. What would you say? Yeah, this, the studio is quite busy at the moment. You know, during the pandemic, there was an, there sort of built up a lot of pent up yeah. recording ambitions, which um, later manifested when people started getting out again. We're not through the pandemic yet. We still have, uh, I'm not wearing a mask at the moment because we're recording this conversation, but yes, everyone in the studio still wears a mask all the time. Um, our clients wear masks when they're not in their pod. Like things are still quite pandemic-y, you yes. know. Uh, there's still thousands of people dying every month and it's a drag. It's a, uh, It's prevented us from reopening the dormitories, for example. Yes. It's, yeah. It's prevented a lot of my international clientele from traveling to the U.S. But just because there's so much less international travel now during the pandemic, so it it's still the the thing that is the principal drag on on the studio business and the and the, the music scene in general. Yes, like my band has been on tour a couple of times in the last year. And touring under pandemic conditions is a fucking drag. It's just not fun. You you wear your mask all day. You get to the venue. You ask the stagehands to put their masks on. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> then it's very awkward. You do, yeah. Then you do your sound check and you disappear back to the hotel and you sit alone in your room until showtime and you go and play the show and... Then you disappear back to the hotel and eat your dinner alone. And it's just like there's none of the social aspect of touring, like the, the part of it that made it really joyous, like hanging out with people backstage or selling shirts from the stage where you can talk to the audience on a one to one basis. Like you're not socializing in any of those ways. You're not rubbing elbows in any of those ways. And it's just 
you know, the hour on stage is great, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's good to be back in the game. It's good to be playing live again. It's it's invigorating and for all those reasons, but it's different and it's not as rewarding as the as touring in a in a pre-pandemic environment was. I know that those uh, that touring you describe some of that was making up for missed dates, canceled dates when the pandemic was really raging. Sorry, yeah. this is getting into some semantic territory that I find frustrating. The pandemic is happening. It hasn't stopped. Yeah. And I don't... When I say post-pandemic, what I mean is post the onset of the pandemic. Yes. And when I say pre-pandemic, I'm saying pre the onset of the pandemic. Right. But you and I would agree, despite any peer pressure or other kinds of pressure to suggest it's over, the pandemic is still oh, going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The pandemic is still underway. We are in a, we are still in a global pandemic. Yeah. I, I'm feeling this peer pressure and work pressure to uh, return and forget it. And uh, a lot of us are. Well, I mean, you see it, you see evidence of it everywhere. You see, you know, people just strolling around, going about their day without a mask on. Yeah. The new bivalent boosters have been available in the U.S. for a while now, and people are just not getting them. Yes. Which is fucking insane yeah. to me, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I drove five and a half hours to get my first vaccine shot. And if that was required of me now, I would drive another five hours to get my booster. But it, as it happens, it's available for free on every street corner. So I don't, I just don't understand why people aren't doing it. I don't it. want to delve too far into this hopeless uh, abyss, but yeah, I, right. I'm really sorry. I just had a chat with uh, uh, Mac McCon, whom you know, uh, about this sort of thing and they're the new Super Chunk album delving into just trying to grapple with how humanity is conducting itself. And this is where I don't know if I've ever felt this uh, despondent about uh, I've tried to be a hopeful person and Mac tries to be a hopeful yeah. person I think of you uh, as a hopeful person uh, we make things because we feel like uh, that's a, hope, a hopeful thing to make something and yeah. work with people so yeah I'm really uh, again not to delve too far into this but I'm really not sure how we're going to get out of this because this has really highlighted how hopeless people can be and uh, <laughs> I, I think a, a big part of it is like for no reason, for no for no valid reason, there were there were battle lines drawn during the pandemic between people who were willing to change their behavior for the sake of pandemic safety and people who were not willing to. Yes. And what was revealed about people during that period is durable. Like what what we now know about people we will take with us when we encounter those same people in other circumstances. Yeah. And we will know like, Oh, I, I remember you. You're, I, 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 rem I know what's up with you. Like that's, that's going to be like part of our conception of our fellowship with everybody else from here on out is like, uh, how did they behave when asked to slightly inconvenience themselves to avoid killing other people yeah. like that yeah. that's that's going to be a it's going to be a marker for people and uh i you know it's already evident to me that other people you know they, they just don't particularly care if people around them fall over dead uh you know there are a lot of people who just who simply don't care like if it inconveniences them in the slightest yeah you know like i've been at Sitting, like for example, I'm a I'm a poker player. Yep. And so poker games reopened, and so now there are live poker games. And I 
you know, I'm fully vaccinated and boosted. I wear my mask at the table. I'm the only one. Often I'm the only one. If it, if it's in a card room in a casino, I'm off, often I'm the only one that in sight yes. in the casino yes. wearing a mask. Yeah. And I have been at a table and there's these games are organized by text thread. So you'll get a text from the organizer of the game saying, hey, we're all going to meet up at the casino on Thursday at seven o'clock or whatever. You know, text me if you want a starting seat, blah, blah, blah. So there's a there's a you know, there's some banter and conviviality on these text threads, but they're informational. They're like a private little news organ. Right. right. Anyway, so playing at the game, playing in the game the next day, get a text message on the thread. Hey, just letting everybody know I wasn't feeling great. So I tested and I'm, I was positive for covid. So here's a guy who was like in the company yeah, of, yeah. you know, over the course of the evening, maybe another 12, 14 other people, including the dealers. Yeah. And he, he informed us that he tested positive. And then one by one, other people who were adjacent to that person in the game were like, oh, shit. Yeah, looks like I've got it, too. Looks like, I, yeah. you know, and it's like <laughs> there was this little spreader event that happened and nobody just nobody cared. It was it just it was sort of taken in stride like, uh, OK, I guess I'll go get the plaques of it and maybe I'll live through it. You maybe. Know? Yeah. So, OK. Uh, and you've been have you made it through unscathed thus far? Uh, I tested positive once. I never had any symptoms. That um, um, oh, uh, about a year ago, I tested positive oh, okay. for COVID for a week. So I isolated for a week. Didn't really have any symptoms, uh, but I had already been vaccinated at that at that point. And I think I had vaccinated then my first booster by then. Okay, well that's good. But you're staring out into your going. So as as I was saying earlier. You're doing these shellac makeup dates, ostensibly. Yeah. I assume you're staring into a crowd, probably mostly unmasked? Largely unmasked. I mean, it's in in some places, you know, we always make masks available for free, and we always ask people, we, we request that people wear masks. Some places, the compliance was shockingly good, like in Ireland, of all places. Yeah. People... They want they value their night out more than they value the like whatever f- facial dignity they wanted <laughs> sure. they, they would preserve by not wearing a mask. So in Ireland, for example, some places we had very good mask compliance, like 60, 70 percent of the crowd was wearing masks. Right. In England and in a, and festival settings, nobody's wearing a mask. And in the U.S., it just varies night to night. Like some nights you'd look out in the crowd and you'd see 30, 40 percent of the people wearing masks. Sometimes you'd look out and you'd see like two, three masks in the whole building. So in your professional ventures, you at least two things, playing in shellac, playing poker. I don't know that you have a choice but to immerse yourself in these environments because of yeah, because I mean, your, it's your those are your jobs. But let me exactly. Well, let me if you're going to play yeah. a show, you're going to do it in a venue. Yes. So let me ask you this though, and this is where I was coming from with the makeup date aspect of that question. You're saying it's not fun. Uh, the social part is gone. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Does it occur to you? Maybe we won't do this again. Like maybe we won't tour again because this isn't fun. As much as that hour is fun. Everything else that I like about this is not the same as it was. Maybe it'll come back, so we can't predict the future. Come back meaning somehow this thing vaporizes. Like, I don't see any other way out of this at this point. This thing just, if it goes away, it goes away, but we're not helping matters, I don't think, as a people. Anyway, my point is, has that occurred to you? Like, why are we, 
why am I doing this if it's not fun? Except that it's a financial obligation I have to fulfill. Well, it's not just financial. We have committed to doing shows. So far, all the shows that we've done have been shows that we're committed to one way or another, committed to prior to the pandemic. That's, that's what I was getting at. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And we've been circumspect about scheduling anything new. We do have tentative plans for a spring tour, mm -hmm. going back to some of the places that we went to on the previous tour, um, a European tour. And I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate question. Like, why the fuck are we doing it? Like, like, why are we being the, the driving force between a bunch of people congregating? Yes. Part of it is that the lethality of COVID seems to have diminished pretty dramatically. And the main risk now is not so much in audience members dying, but audience members infecting vulnerable people, people who are immunocompromised, elderly people, people who are unprotected or unvaccinated. Like those are the people who are at risk. And it's a sort of a secondary risk in that people would be coming to the show Somebody would get exposed. Somebody would have a non-lethal case of COVID and infect somebody who then had a lethal case. Like it, that's the, that's the, the, the degree of separation, the degrees of separation at, at, at this there point. There does seem to be a, a feeling that the short term mortality, uh, the lethality rate, I should say, uh, we've bypassed that a little bit. But then the more you read that that's not necessarily the case. And also. It's a long COVID seems like it's a much bigger deal than anyone is making it out to be the, at the time. That's what has emerged in the last few months. Like the actual impact of any, uh, any time you've gotten it. No, I'm not trying to scare you, <laughs> but anyone who's gotten it at all <laughs> yeah. seems to be on track to develop neurological or cardiovascular issues in a way. What do they say? Like it ages your brain 10 years. Uh, depending yeah. on it, because it just again, I'm not a doctor. Apparently, the thing enters everyone's body, and then it's a free for all. No one knows. It's just your body, <laughs> right? Your body. It goes through everything yeah. to figure out where your weaknesses are, and that's why some people are like, "Oh, I had nothing. I was fine after a week." And other people are like, "Yeah, my kidneys don't work. I can't smell." And it's just because yeah. we're all different. Anyway, all this to say, I'm just trying to justify maybe my own reticence. Like if Shellac were in Edmonton, Alberta, next week. I would probably go. I went to see my friends, the Sadies, because uh, for various reasons, uh, they did yeah. three nights here and I masked up. First night, I was a f among a few people wearing masks. They played another venue for two nights in a row. No one, really. And uh, that's just what we're dealing with. Anyway, enough about me. My point is, it sounds yeah. like you're struggling with, like, is this fun? And why are we doing this? So I just, I ask you this. I believe last year, when you were on, uh, so that would have been December 2021, I think I stumbled upon the fact that 2022 marked the 30th anniversary of Shellac. Is that correct? Do we? Is that accurate? Um, I'll take your word for it. Okay. That doesn't, that, that's, <laughs> I don't know that we have a, like a, a canonized start date for the band, but Todd and I started playing together um, in, I want to say in 92, yes. end of 92, beginning of 93. You 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 quietly acknowledge that I might be accurate without making too much yeah. of a fuss. I I sure. remember that. Did you acknowledge this as a band in any way? Any little party celebration? <laughs> nah, haven't done it. I mean, we just we did something for our twentieth anniversary. We, we did like a series of shows and yeah. like printed up special T-shirts and shit. But right, yeah, I think we're 
you know how like as you get older you give less of a shit about your birthday and like <laughs> yeah. milestones in general yes. like you know yes yes and you know like your your first wedding anniversary is kind of a big deal you know by the fifth one you're kind of like oh yeah i guess this is our wedding yeah, happy anniversary you know yeah like, i had this. like you remember like later you remember around dinner time like oh shit it's it. Today's the eighth, isn't it? Yeah. I said this to my wife a couple of a month ago that, hey, do you know that uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary since we started dating? And she's like, oh, and that was it. We just moved on. Yeah. We moved on with our lives. But uh, no, I, I appreciate that. One of the reasons I wanted to ask about Shellac, uh, because I love the band so much, by the way, and I don't mean to overflatter you, but I had the dude incredible playing in the minivan yesterday when I was picking up my kids and, the, and my <laughs> wife. Yeah, it's a brilliant record. I had to skip well, past you. Uh, you Came and Me because the kids were in the back and I thought that would be inappropriate. But they laughed. You haven't, you haven't had that conversation with your kids uh, yet? The, the, the 11-year-olds had it. The 7-year-old, okay. no. that's where I, Or 8, sorry. I got the... See, I don't even... She just turned 8. Sorry about that. <laughs> My point is a uh, brilliant record. Uh, there's been some inkling through social media, Instagram, uh, that Shellac uh, made a record. Uh, what's the status of the new uh, recording? So the last time we spoke, I believe we had completed an album. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, and it's been sort of gradually inching its way through the fabrication process. Like we, we just finished a round of emails about the cover artwork. Yes. Like yesterday or the day before. Oh, nice. There's some subtleties about the pressing that need to be resolved. The mastering's been done. You know, it, it'll make its way out in its own good time. There's huge backlogs at yes. the pressing plants still. And we're hoping to use an experimental approach to record pressing for this record that if it works, if it, if everything works out, it's going to be really terrific. Is, so, that, is um, that something we could talk about maybe if you're uh, able to come back on the show when the album's out or something? Or do you? Yeah. I mean, um, after the after it all works, I'd be happy to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, there's a possibility. We're still fucking around with it right now because it, the method and the technology that we're using, that we're trying to use for this, the pressings of this record are still sort of experimental and huh. we're in the testing stage of it. And if it doesn't work out, then I'd rather not be on record no, no. saying this, yeah. we're, you know, like, yeah, this is our Pono or whatever <laughs> the thing is. Oh, poor uncle Neil. Yeah. He had the Pono. That's correct. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, so you said mastering somewhere in there. Did you, so no test pressing. Yet, I'm guessing. No, the okay. test pressings are all like that's. We have more work to do before we can get to that point. Okay, but yeah, we're probably about it. What, eighteen months away? Twenty four months away? Man, y your guess is as good yeah. as mine. It depends. We yeah. we wrapped up the recording over a year ago, and we've been a year in the in the weeds of trying to get the artwork and the production and all, you know, get all the final details sorted out. So everything is now down to just the inherent delays in the processes. It's not like, okay. Okay. We're not trying to hit a release date or anything. Yeah. You and I once did a thing. I think, I believe it was for dude incredible that I'd never done before. Normally in the music industry, people like me are sent a record in advance yeah. of a conversation uh, that's not how shellac works, and that's fine. I respect that. But So you and I did a thing, which I'd never done before, where I was like, can we go, th and I'm not asking you to do this today, but we did a thing where uh, we went through the whole record, ha me having not heard a note, 
And, <laughs> and I think I maybe knew the song titles, I think, at that point. Okay. And you described each song. And I think I heard from you and people at Touch and Go, they're like, this is brilliant. Holy shit. Like, it, it, and the thing, the episode came out before the album came out, I think, too. So everyone was like, what the fuck? How am I supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I would be happy to do something like that again. I, I think, I feel like our... Our music is structured within the band in this awkward way where we're in a lot of bands. There's a principal songwriter. Yeah. It's someone that will write the songs and bring them to the band and say, yeah, this is what we're doing. And then, you know, other people contribute. But like the main, the, the you know, and even in bands where there isn't a principal songwriter, um, there are often multiple people writing songs and those people have dominion over their material yeah. in one way or another. Yeah. We're not like that. Like we're everything we do is done like it's or it, someone can have a germinating idea, but then it it gets beaten into shape by the three of us playing it over and over again. Which is why we like we introduce songs into our live set at at you know in a gestational shape. So like we'll be playing a song. There are songs on this record that has yet to come out, which that we've been playing in our live sets for four and five years. Right, and. Playing them is our method of writing them in a, in a manner of speaking. Like the more you play a song, the more you understand why you're doing it. And some songs don't survive that. It's like a trial by fire. And some songs just, you know, eat shit after a while and you're done with them. Yes. <laughs> you know, like yes. we have a yeah. long list of songs that we're just not interested in anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Just you won't play them again. Probably not. I mean, yeah. maybe, but, you know, most likely not. Like song, songs that, that occupied a certain portion of our attention for a while and then that itch was scratched and we no longer need to think about it. There are other songs that are durable because they have like, there are things about them that you can get into over, over time and that you can stretch mm -hmm. out in. And often your perspective about the narration and the song changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's, to me anyway, it's important to be like, kind of into what you're saying in the song if not necessarily into literally what the characters are saying like there should be an idea behind the song that you back and some songs just wear themselves out and you realize yeah no that was a dumb idea we shouldn't i shouldn't be saying that well once dude incredible had concluded itself on the in the car i put on at action park and uh, it struck me the continuity i mean i i i think as you know steve i've been following the band a long time and i appreciate uh, how it's evolved um, sonically and in terms of approaches to arrangements and whatnot. But I was struck by that, that I went back to the first album. And mm. to me, I feel like there's been a lot of dips and dives and, and strange turns uh, in the discography, but I felt there was real kind of coherence and consistency between those two records, the bookends, I suppose, well at this point. When we started the band, we started with some core ideas, and those core ideas haven't changed. Yeah. Like the main one being that we're a trio; it's the three of us, mm -hmm. and the music that we make is the is what what the three of us can do. And a lot of bands, after a record or two, they they want to stretch out; they want to like start adding fiddles or whatever. And we've just <laughs> resisted those temptations and just like. You know, we're committed to the three of us, each of us with our instrument and yeah. each of us with our voice and doing what we can with with that set of of tools. You know, it, yeah. it, it's very much like a, a woodworker that use, has a, a set of tools. And sometimes to solve a problem, that woodworker might have to use different techniques than someone who's got like a CNC machine or whatever. Right. 
but the you know the techniques are part of the pleasure of doing it like Mm -hmm. and so like for the three of us like the sound that our band makes is very precious to us and and we don't i don't i don't particularly want to change anything about it yeah and i i think of some of my favorite bands as well bands like the stooges or the ramones or acdc or joy division like you know you can drop the needle pretty much anywhere on any of their discographies and you know what band you're listening to within seconds you know yeah and that that to me is the difference between the kind of self-contained rock group idea and more sort of amorphous ad hoc musician assemblages which is sort of the the norm for pop music and jazz and and even classical ensembles like the particular players in a classical ensemble other than a few like very specific groups like you could change the second violin in any orchestra and nobody's going to know right you know? yeah <laughs> right yeah but you couldn't change the drummer in led zeppelin without everybody knowing and you couldn't you know you you couldn't change the guitar player in the ramones without everybody knowing yeah you know? it seems to me that only robert plant believes that uh, theory <laughs> about uh, replacing uh, John Bonham. Uh, it seems to me, anyway. No, I appreciate all that, and I appreciate how shellac works, and I appreciate the consistency. One thing I wanted to ask about, and I know it's maybe not your place to say it. You and I have had a billion conversations uh, over the years. Uh, one person who I'm surprised ten at least. At least I think it's a yes. Fine, let's go with ten. It's been a lot, and I okay. always appreciate them. Uh, uh, Bob, I feel like Bob Weston doesn't do a lot of chatting. These days, that's been. I'm trying not to take it personally. Sometimes, like Bob, it'd be nice to have a chat sometime. You're like, ah, eh, I don't really do a lot of press anymore. Is that your sense? Does he talk? Uh, I know he doesn't talk as much as you <laughs> in terms of yeah, interviews. No, I mean, I mean, part of it is just like I'm used to it, mm-hmm. and so people hit me up, and people have my number, so people hit me up, and I do it. <laughs> um, and and the other part of it is like Bob's workload in the band is it's behind the scenes, but it's kind of enormous. Yes, like he does a lot of the logistical stuff like and organizing the like when we're when we're about to go on tour like all the tour managerial details that would normally be taken care of by a professional who does nothing else those are like extra work for bob like yeah. to get all the hotels lined up and get all the flights and all the yeah um you know get all the rental stuff organized and that's him find out if there's special paperwork we need to get into brazil or whatever the fuck it is you know like yeah well i love him i've had a i've only had a handful of conversations with him in my life but they've always been very warm and i love him so much so i just want to well it's it's just i i i feel like he probably feel i'm i don't want to speak for him but here i am here here i am speaking for him yeah i feel like his his Mental capacity for dealing with shellac business has probably topped out. I see. Like he's, you know. Okay, fair enough. And so he doesn't. He doesn't also want to answer, you know, what could be awkward questions about process or content that are, are you know, just not things that he spends a lot of his energy mulling over. Yeah. Me, I have. I have more. <laughs> I have more mental elasticity, and I'm. All day, every day, somewhere in the back of my mind, you know, boiling on the back burner is some bullshit I'm thinking about our music or our band. Right. Yeah. And so so it's one way or another. It's always on my mind. Yeah. The last time I did a full sort of shellac uh, interview for an article, I think 
yeah, as I recall, Bob and Todd participated over email. Uh, you and I had our one of our chats, and uh, so I, I don't think it's. Le- I, I wonder if it's just. I didn't get the sense he didn't want to participate, but maybe it's the forum or the medium rather. Uh, like, sure, e- I wonder if he would be like, sure, email me some questions. That's what happened. One of the times I inquired. Anyway, we're, why am I speculating upon this? I just wanted to say I like Bob, and it's, the, it's <laughs> okay. nice to chat. I'll with let him, him know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can send him an email or something. Uh, real quick though, for those interested in uh, this band, Shellac, again, I don't want to do a full fledged uh, preview, but glimmers. Is there something you can tell us about um, anything that surprised you about the record uh, when it was more or less done? So. Um if you're familiar with our band, uh, as Vicious has <laughs> explained, you won't be surprised by the sound of our of the record. I'm very happy with this group of songs. I'm ha- very happy with the, the way everything came out. Yeah. Yeah. Off the top <laughs> of my head, I can't. There's not. There isn't a th- like. I don't. Ac- sort of accidentally on the previous record, dude, incredible. There was this kind of a. Th- theme about surveyors that emerged yes. where like yeah. three or four songs mentioned surveyors or were inspired by surveyors or titled after surveyors or whatever. No such luck this time. There's no, okay. there's, you know, it's not like we have, you know, it's, it's not like we have anything about like, you know, gardening or whatever. Like there's no, there's no theme. It's not a pandemic record, for example. Right. I suppose a couple of pieces of music do make reference to pandemic stuff, but you know, obliquely and but yeah. Yeah, wonderful instrumentals on Dude Incredible too. So um anyway, I don't know which we'll find out. Sorry, I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag and uh I again I extend an invitation to you if and when <laughs> this record comes out, hopefully we can have a more uh, in-depth uh, talk about it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, nice. the nicest thing about the record, nicest thing that has changed about this record is, like, our other records, the art direction, we were assisted by this guy named Dave Babbitt, who's done a lot of stuff for Touch and Go, and he's a fantastic art director, a great technician with all the different processes and stuff, super easy to work with, like, a real joy to work with. This time... 100% of the photography is Bob Weston's photography. Oh, wow. And and it's more photographically dense than any of our other records have been. Oh, there's a nice little uh, preview. Thank you. That's See, this is what I was getting at. Bob is interesting. I think Yeah. he's just an interesting guy. That's why I'm like, why is he so mysterious? Why won't he talk to me? Anyway, sorry the about ma- that. <laughs> it, I, it's, it's probably the microdosing. That's probably he's just a little self-conscious. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. Again, I, I love him so much. Uh, one other quick shellac thing. A B-Sides record. We have talked about this yeah. for like three years, and I understand why there would be delays. What's the status of that thing? You know... I mean, I, so there, some things seem more pressing than others. Getting the new material out, getting a record of new new music out seems more pressing yes. than um, sort of reinflating oddities and rarities from over the course of our 30 years, right? Yeah. We do have such a record made or assembled, and we do intend to release such a record. But it isn't a priority over us getting our the next like proper album done. Fair enough. That's that's good enough. I know people have asked me, "Hey, you always it's talk." Sort about- of a, <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of 
we we put out an album of our Peel sessions a couple yeah. of years ago, and and those two were always sort of seen as companion pieces, right? Right. Like you know, this is a, a an album of our Peel sessions. This is an album of our oddities and rarities, and. We did one already, so get off our backs already. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to pester you. I just uh, like to. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying you need to get off our backs. I'm just saying. Like, I like to update the people about what's yeah. going on with Shellac. Now, as we're speaking, I would say, seems to me, America and democracy in America feels a little better this week. Just a quick rundown. So you got the Raphael Warnock victory in uh, North Carolina. Trump was convicted of things. Uh, the GOP seems to finally... Well, I don't give a fuck about those people. Well, I mean, from a procedural standpoint, the Republicans now control the House of Representatives, which means they control the budget, which means they're going to cause all manner yeah. of chaos, yeah. making demands and threatening to bankrupt, you know, threatening the, the to default on yeah. payments and stuff. Like, they're just going to be real shit heels about everything. Yes. And so that's worse, right? Yeah. Democrats controlling the Senate means that appointments and nominations are going to go through a lot faster, which is a big plus. That That's a plus. Yeah. Um, there are some Supreme Court rulings that are pending. One in particular, the, the arguments were heard today on a case that would determine the validity of the independent state legislature hmm. theory of governance, right? Hmm. Which is that the state legislature is vested with the power to certify who wins an election in a state, right? Mm -hmm. And for 200 plus years, that the idea has been that the state legislature will, through enacting laws pursuant to its normal legislative duty, define the terms of an election. And then an election conducted under those terms certifies a winner, and then that winner is the winner of the state's election. The argument apparently being floated at the moment is that regardless of the law as written, regardless of the results of the election conducted pursuant to the law's written governing elections, the state legislature can just decide somebody else won. Yeah. Like that's that's the argument is that yes. like if the legislature is allowed to to say who wins an election, yeah. then they can they can choose to ignore all the all the voting. And if that happens, then you will almost certainly see certain states like if the if that notion becomes canonized as being a legitimate reading of the constitution then you will almost certainly see Republican-held states become these little Republican enclaves where Democrats are simply not allowed to win elections. And that is essentially the end of Democratic principles in the country because there would be enough of them to throw a presidential election. Are we seeing a little bit more... I, I understand what you're saying, and in the previous conversations we've had, I think you felt compelled and I think justified in painting the entire Republican Party with a broad brush. And they, most of them sure. are acting this way. Are we starting to see little pockets of resistance to this? No. Ma not, not enough for you? Or not at all? I'm saying no. Like the, the figurehead of the Republican Party is Donald Trump. There are a lot of intellectual Republicans or intellectual conservatives who bristle at the notion of Donald Trump representing them in any manner, right? Yeah. But... He has animated an enormous 
chunk of the the Republican voting base. Yeah. And so he's going to call the shots and they're like I have I have several conservative and or Republican friends who voted for Biden because they couldn't bear the idea of voting for Donald Trump or right. and who voted for Clinton and then Biden because they couldn't bear the idea of voting for Donald Trump. They still want all of the awful things yeah. that Donald Trump brought to bear. Like they, they were ecstatic about the court appointments that Donald Trump made. Right? Yes. Yeah. These are, these people are monsters and uh, they were ecstatic about it. Some of these people are vocally behind uh, Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. who is a kind of a lab grown monster with the duplicitous nature of Donald Trump, but without the sort of self-centered graftiness. Like he doesn't, doesn't seem to be conducting swindles for his own benefit, but he's just as willing to like suspend the notion of democracy, for example. Like when he first got, he got elected on a very narrow margin and he hit the ground running and he, he put together an, an agenda that was, what are the things that I can do unilaterally yeah. as governor of Florida? And they're like, well, it turns out you can remove some elected officials from local offices if you want to. And so he did. Yeah. He just like went around the state, like, you know, getting rid of school boards, getting rid of prosecuting attorneys, district attorneys or state's attorneys, just getting just people that were elected, people democratically elected office holders. Yeah. Like he was just, Getting rid of them, just like, nope, you know, so he doesn't value democracy as an in- something that's inherently good or inherently productive. Yeah. He just sees it as uh, one of the mechanisms of control that he could exploit. And also he's a, he's also he's a, a bigot and a monster as a, as an individual, as a person. He's a bigot and a monster. I think this is what a lot of people were concerned about, like the Keystone Cops nature of Trump and his lot yeah is that they just brazenly make stupid decisions in public or do crime in public whereas yeah. the real monsters are the ones who've been doing this forever quietly or finding little like you say someone said to ron DeSantis, if you look at the rules according to the exactly. rules you can do this heinous shit He was like oh the rules say i can do it i'll do it then whereas yeah so this is where we're at with it one of the questions i had for you and i appreciate all your insights there I, I was trying to say this felt like a better week, and I appreciate you pouring a little cold water on that. Where <laughs> I was coming from, though, is at least in 2020, and maybe for a, a while now, maybe into the midterms recently, there seemed to be this repudiation of Trump narrative about how people were voting. Anyone but them, anyone but the GOP. Where I was coming from trying to put a rosier spin on it is, I'm starting to get a sense there's a narrative about look how much ass the Democrats and Biden are actually kicking. Like, look at what they're actually getting done. You and I have had conversations about this, too, about how feckless this party can be. And that's equally frustrating. Has your position on that changed at all, given some of their accomplishments and some of what we're starting to see? It's hard to be excited about the modest accomplishments of the Biden administration when you see so much left on the table. Right. That's what it boils down to. Right. Like, yes, it's better than having a Republican in, in, as the president. It's obviously better. Yeah. Is it great? Yeah, it's not great. No. You know? 
sure. I guess what I'm seeing, though, and I don't know enough like about the, this. Okay, you, you're not barefoot, but you know these shoes hurt. Right. Yeah. I guess what I'm where what I'm seeing is is sort of wonkier people saying, "Holy shit!" Like, look what got passed. Look what he's actually. You know, a lot of it's tri- attributed to the figurehead, but look what Biden has actually got done. And I'm just I have to trust these wonks. To, I'm like, oh, I don't know this shit as well as they do. And I mean, some of it is stuff that he's being credited for, like job creation. Like, yeah. the president doesn't ever have that yeah, much to enough. do with job creation, right? You know, fair like, enough. Yeah. And, you know, like, he doesn't have minute control over the Fed, so he couldn't really intervene to reduce inflation unless it was like, I mean, he he could, but it would be, it'd be really crude and really ugly. And, you know, like, oh, he averted a rail strike. Yeah, he averted a rail strike by selling out the fucking unions. Like, there's, right, right. Like, it's not like he brokered an agreement. Right. What he did was he said, let's ignore the fact that we haven't got an agreement <laughs> and, right. you know, and say it's illegal to strike like that. That You know, that, it's hard to be excited or animated about, you know. A guy who's like a, a guy of diminished capacity, no, no slight. Yeah, yeah. But he's an old dude showing his age. Yeah. And he still thinks about the world in an old, in in the manner of an old dude, and he's still yep. stuck in these like you know formalistic notions of how things are should operate, which were invalidated forty years ago. But he still clings to them. You know, like the notion of bipartisanship and the notion of like uh, a comfortable middle for everybody. Like all that stuff is bullshit. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, he is among the more uh, prominent people to suggest the pandemic is over going back to my earlier point yeah. as well. So I, yeah, I mean, I, some of that is rhetorical, but I, I agree. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's a drag. We've had some conversations. Uh, I think the last time we talked a lot about uh, your engagement with the Twitter and I asked you some questions about that been an interesting time uh for the twitter what are your uh, you're still there i think i'm still on it uh myself Mo- i'm still on the tw- i still have my twitter account and i'm still like paying attention to it but it sucks now it like there's nowhere near as much fun stuff on there no it's a drag and, are you i think and the right wingers are are running wild like the the actual nazis are really sort of way too prominent like I, I never used to see that stuff at all. Like it never would cross my feet at all. And now, like twice a day, I'll see something that's just fucking, you know, paint peeling the a porn. The fact that they're know? somehow figuring out a way to make us follow people, uh, follow like literally follow accounts. I've had to be like, I never followed that account. I'm unfollowing this account. Like what the hell? Beyond mm-hmm. the just yeah, the feed is all fucked up. Like I agree. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's 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 a bit heartbreaking. I know it's just a social media app to some people. I really viewed it as a connection tool, and uh, yeah, it's a. It, I mean, it is. It is a very mild form of engagement for me. Like I just, yeah. whenever I think of something clever, I put it on there. But and then occasionally there are things that other people yeah. put up on Twitter that I want to say. I I like this. I agree with this. Whatever. Or here's something that I can share that I thought was well put or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think it has value, but I also I'm not. I don't. It doesn't. I don't live or die by no, it. There's, no. There are people who have like sort of created their entire like media presence yeah. and and who have, you know, find their validation in their social media. Some people do it as a, as a business, like they yep. operate social media in a way that they can monetize it. I've, I've never tried to do that. I don't know anything about that. So it's, for me, it's like 
It's a bulletin board. Yeah, yeah. no, I appreciate that. You Have you signed up for the other 50 things? Like the Mastodon and the Hive and all that stuff? I tried to sign up for Hive, but the, they were their servers were overwhelmed yeah, and they I couldn't did. take any more applications. <laughs> uh, I've I created a Mastodon account, but I haven't posted anything there yet. I don't actually really understand Mastodon. No, I don't, yeah, okay, I, good, because I, I, I think of eventually. you as a person who would. And I tried to figure it out, and I couldn't. Yeah. And then I started to be like, why behaviorally am I doing this? Why am I just like, we've known for some time that these things aren't particularly great for us, mentally, whatever. But I also think, mm-hmm. There's some social aspects to it, particularly these days. Well, I, the thing I like about Twitter specifically, and I, which I presume will survive in the whatever post-Twitter um, yeah. platform I end up on, <laughs> um, is that it, it enforces brevity on people, yeah. and it and the and I, I feel like funny people are funnier when their jokes are concise and. Yeah. Annoying people are less annoying if they're not allowed to be verbose. Like <laughs> sure. there, there's something about that. Like the the contrast would be Substack. Like people who were like decent writers when they had an editor. Yeah. When they've gone rogue and gone onto Substack and they're just doing, you know, it's just this logarithmic yeah. like nonsense. Like I, you can't read anything on Substack. It's just all atrocious. <laughs> it just all cries out for an editor desperately. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I don't have too many. I think I have one. Substack subscription, but yeah, I can see your point there. It's also like Substack is also like sort of catering to these like aggrieved right wing oh, adjacent, is it? okay, like pricks that I, I I don't like it, and, and like it seems like it's built like purpose built for that. Oh, okay, and people who are canceled by the or who are shadow banned by the the leftist new media, you know, they, they can finally get all their little racisms off their chest right. on their Substack blog, you know, like that. So like, I don't, but there are a few people that I know who are good writers who have, um, opened Substack just as a way of doing long form stuff. And it's pretty much all garbage. Like, it, like it's not as good as when they were, when they were being edited, when they were writing yeah. to a, a, an assignment, you know, there are people who are speculating about what, this Elon Musk guy is actually trying to do. Some people are think, well, he bought it to destroy it. And like, do you have any? I, I don't think he has. I don't think he has a plan. He doesn't seem like he's ever had a plan about anything. Yeah, yeah. He's just like done things according to whimsy, hmm. and then tried to talk his way out around him once he's gotten in the middle of it. And it, this is, seems exactly the same. Like he's yes, he's destroying it, but I don't think he intended to destroy it. He bought it on a whim. He bought it like it was a fucking candy bar. Yeah, fair like, enough. On, you know, on the way out, you know what? fuck it, I'll have Twitter, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to compel me to finally... I'm kind of hanging in there, hoping that some other thing, he's gone or something, but I don't know why. Like, it's people are leaving. The, the, way it is, the way it is for me is, like, when I first started engaging with Twitter, like, it was a very limited appeal. Yeah. Like, once or twice a day, there would be something that was of interest. And then it got more and more interesting as more and more people were on it, and they get, you know, people's... The, the threads and tangents started to get more interesting. There was people being quite brave on a personal level. And yeah, like I, I enjoyed it more over time. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what seems to be happening now is it seems all of that seems to be rewinding, like, like playing out in reverse. Like I like, I enjoyed Twitter yesterday less than I did the day before. Yes. I'm probably going to enjoy it less today than I did yesterday, and eventually it'll just not be worth my trouble. I kind of was enjoying the level at which people were dunking on the situation, like, <laughs> and him. Like, that's been amusing, but yeah. 
No, I'm with you, and I'm. We're all going through it, or anyone who engages with it. I wanted to congratulate you because if I have my facts correct, you won another bracelet, a World Series of Poker bracelet. Is that correct? In June, I correct. think. Correct. Yeah, I'm now a two-time bracelet winner at the World Series of Poker, which it surprises me as much as anybody else. <laughs> Congratulations. Just for context, I think you know that I'm not a poker aficionado. I get all my poker right. news from you and the late Norm McDonald, pretty much. Uh, what does that mean? How rare is it for someone to win multiple, two or more bracelets? For someone like me, who is not a professional, it's ex- it's it's exceedingly rare. Like people who spend all of their time playing poker, that's their livelihood. Then come the World Series, they play a full slate of events where they're playing event after event after event after event. Right. It's much more likely for people like that. Like my friend Brandon Shaq Harris, who's a professional player. He does nothing but play poker for a living and has for 15 years or whatever, 20 years or whatever. He has two bracelets as well. And the the fact that he and I are considered the same in that regard, like we each have two bracelets, is absurd. Because <laughs> as a poker player, he's dramatically more accomplished than me. He's a better poker player by by leagues. And, he, you know, he keeps elite company. He was in contention for player of the year, the year, you know, the year he won his first bracelet. He made another, a couple of other deep runs, made a few more final tables. Like, I play three or four tournaments a year. If I'm lucky, I'll get to play three or four tournaments a year. So it's very fluky that I would have, even if I were a favorite to win one of these tournaments, like even if I were like considered the best player in the field, which I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, even if I were considered the best player in the field, it would be an, a long shot, a big outlier for me to have won two tournaments. Does, so. does your lack of a – I gather from what you're saying that part of the professional designation is the frequency with which you participate in poker. Well, it's it's like anything else. Like You, you can be serious about something and be a serious amateur about it and take it seriously and mm-hmm. put a lot of your attention into it without it being your livelihood. Right. And then there are professionals at all scale, of all scales, right. where their livelihood is playing poker. That's what they do for a living. And I see. And I, I'm not one of those people. Like poker is a part of my livelihood. But it, if I didn't play poker, I could make use of that time doing something else, and and I'd be fine. Whereas the professional poker players, like if you take poker away from them, they really don't have anything else. So you're in the World Series of Poker, and you're at a table. I presume you're surrounded by some of these professionals. Do you think your status? And the perception of you as being a non-professional gives you a psychological advantage at the table. <laughs> Definitely not. No, no. I mean, they don't underestimate. No, they I don't mean, underestimate you. Is what I'm saying. No, no, no. I mean, no. they play against people who are not professionals all the time. I see. That's like their their favorite thing to do is <laughs> to play against people who are not as good. No, at that, but that's as what them. I'm saying. That yeah. you're, you're you're implying what I'm getting at. Like they might have more. Con- they like to do it because they could probably beat them. Is what you're saying? I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying, uh, most of them are better than me. So what I'm getting at then is, would they not underestimate someone like you, and then somehow that bites them in the ass? So the thing that's weird about poker is that the world is not that large, right? I see. So, like, there are professional poker players who are elite players whose paths I may have crossed or may have may not, and they might not remember me. 
but there are a certain number of them, a certain percentage of them that know me by name, where we're friends or we have friends in common. We've hung out, we've had dinner, uh, we've talked strategy or whatever. So like, I'm not unknown to those ranks, but there is a certain swath of the poker playing pool that wouldn't know or rate me. And I think that's to my, that, that, I guess that might be to my advantage, that's but what I'm getting at. Yeah. I, I, it's not an enormous thing. It's not like, um, it's not like I'm a ringer brought in from Japan, you know, it's, <laughs> but, you know, but they would know, forgive me if this seems uh, like a, a crass thing that someone would do. Would you wear your bracelet? Oh, of course not. Okay, just making sure. I don't know if you come in with your, you know, I don't know who would do that actually, but you know, like a ring no or something. No one would do that. But no, they're they're number one, they're they're uncomfortable. Number two, they're hideous. Yeah, yeah. And and number three, they're not actually jewelry. They're like a you know, they're like a yeah, you told, like a carnival <laughs> carnival prize. <laughs> you you know? told me about this. All I was getting at with that is, do they would most of them be aware that you'd won a bracelet before? People who were sort of everyday poker players who played the World Series of Poker sort of religiously yeah. were aware of what was going on generally in the World Series of Poker. <laughs> a lot of them would know that I had won a bracelet yeah. or potentially two. The people who are my friends, like in my circle of friends, all of them would know because I not only like they would whenever one of your friends is at a final table, you know, there are new services specific to poker that you know, everyone refreshes those news services and keeps up to date when like whenever you're one of your friends is doing well, like you're always, you know, it's called sweating them or railing them. You're, you're always on the rail for your friends. So I just wonder if you, you get to the table and everyone's introduced by maybe their 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 poker CV, if you will. Uh, I mean, that might happen for sort of televised events or whatever, but the okay. kind of shit I play no. Anyway, I appreciate this. Congratulations again. I, I, I'm always happy for you when you win. I mean, sorry, I've been happy for you twice. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Uh, let's get the letters uh, to Santa. Now, for those, I've contextualized it a little bit in the introduction, which as we're speaking, I haven't recorded yet. Briefly, uh, Steve, can you remind people what Letters to Santa is? And within that, what form it's taking uh, this year in terms of uh, we've had some pandemic era versions and whatnot. Yeah. Letters to Santa is a program that was started by my wife, Heather Winna, and has been formalized into a, 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 a formal charity called uh, Poverty Alleviation Charities. And basically the, the purpose of it, the function of it is to get money into the hands of poor people in Chicago. And over the last few years, the it's expanded to Oakland, California as well, and potentially may expand farther. But it started with the idea that you find specific needs for poor families and you get them money. Their slogan, the slogan for the charity is the solution to poverty is money. Mm-hmm. And there really is no other way around it. If somebody has problems that can only be solved by money, the way that you solve their problems is by getting them money. So the, the charity is designed... Yep to be as efficient as possible, raising money and then getting that money quickly into the hands of people who need it. There's no overhead taken out of the donations. The overhead for the charity is extremely modest and it's all taken care of by benefactors so that when people donate money for the purpose of giving it, getting it into the hands of of families that need it, that money, 100% of that money gets into their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's an organizational principle that I think is really brilliant, and I wish more charities would pursue it, rather than just soliciting general donations and taking a percentage of that to operate the charity as overhead. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's all manner of 
sins that can be hidden by that kind of percentile operation. But the way poverty alleviation charities works is that the overhead, the very modest overhead, is taken care of by benefactors. And then the money that's raised through direct donations goes directly to the families in need. And one of the primary fundraisers is a 24-hour marathon show that happens every year in Chicago, originally at the Second City where Heather worked, but she doesn't work there now, and uh, Second City isn't what it used to be. So a lot of the players that were part of that scene have now gravitated elsewhere. And the 24-hour show is happening at a venue called The Constellation in Chicago, which is about 200 yards from where I'm sitting at the moment. Oh, lucky for you. That's uh, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, there's also going to be a streaming component. Um, and if you go to 24hourmarathon.org. That's correct. Yeah. You will get information about the 24-hour show how to donate. Um, there will be some fancy auction items. Uh, there are a lot of special guests, both in the live show and in the on stream and in the streaming component. Yeah. There are a lot of fancy celebrities. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Heather's just uh, received a video commercial for the show, which is probably going to be posted long before this blog goes up. Oh, before this podcast goes up. Oh, I see. There's yeah. like a preview thing. I will just uh, briefly. Uh, mention some of the musical guests here that I see. So you got Jeff Tweedy, you got David Pajo, you got Bonnie Prince Billy, you got Bobby Holly and the Ricketts, Selena Stacy, Anina Nastasia, Sally Timms and John Langford. Dave Grohl is going to be doing a set from his couch. Ty Siegel and Dave Grohl. I wanted to and then yeah, special guests include Fred Armisen. It says here someone named Steve Albini, Jack McBrayer. So lots of uh Lots of great people. And then that does not even include all of the guest improvisers. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's going to be remarkable. I'm, I, I've, I've been able to engage with this uh, from Canada, and I, I trust I'll be able to do that again. So that's very exciting. Dave Grohl, uh, that's among the biggest people, I suppose, who's ever played. Uh, did you, sw- yeah. no? Is that, that's fair. Did, did you, yeah. you, you, you put a call out? Is that how that works, Steve? I know you're friendly. Uh, Dave and I are friendly, and we occasionally text each other various absurdities, and we were in the middle of a text exchange, and he said, how are things going with your wife, and what's up with her charity, and is there anything I can do? Yes. And I was like, well, there fucking is, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, like, yeah, it was weird. It was kind of out of the blue. He, like, sort of offered to do something to raise, help raise money at, for the charity. And uh, I'm, I'm somewhat self-conscious imposing on people in this manner. I don't want to put people on the spot. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. If they can't do it, they feel like assholes for saying no when you say, like, hey, will you help raise money for poor people? And they say no. It yeah. makes them feel bad, right? Yeah. So I'm a little self-conscious about those interactions, but it's great when somebody just, like, pops off Hey, let me do something to help raise money. Yeah. And, uh, so that, yeah, that was a surprise and, and really generous and really great on his behalf. You say you text sometimes or correspond sometimes. Uh, I, I don't expect you to speak on his behalf necessarily, but how, what's your sense of how he's holding up given the, the tragedy in his band with the, the passing of Taylor? Yeah. I mean, and he's suffered these kind of life altering tragedies yeah. twice now. Yeah. And that's, you know, I can't begin to put myself in his shoes, but uh, he's gradually reemerging. He's been doing some public appearances, like they did the they did the sort of memorial shows, and he just did a, ben- a veterans benefit in Dayton with the Kim and Kelly from the Breeders. Oh, nice! 
he and and Joe Walsh and a resurrected James gang. Hmm. Uh, that was pretty exciting. So he, he's reemerging gradually. Uh, he's the same guy. When Like when you talk to him, you're talking to the same guy you've been talking to for 20 years. Yeah. He's like exactly the same guy. Well, that's lovely to hear, and I appreciate that. I also very quickly want to – I know at one point I don't like to impose upon you or anyone else. I think I've done it twice, saying, hey, <laughs> do you think you can reach out and connect me with someone? And I heard you did this for me with Dave. It didn't work out, and it hasn't worked out. But I heard from his people, hey, your friend, uh, you and Dave have a friend, and you want to talk to Dave? And I was like, oh, Steve did it. Anyway, Steve, I appreciate you uh, going. It's not going to probably He's a. You said, you know, he's busy. He's a busy guy, and I trust that that's the case. But uh, I just want to thank you as well for... Uh, Oh, trying to help me some. It's remarkably little effort on my part. (laughs) Well, again, you don't want to impose upon people, so I appreciate that. Okay, so for more information about Letters to Santa, people can go to 24hourmarathon.org. For more information about shellac and uh, stuff, touch and go records, electrical audio. Just text me. Or you can just text Steve. Yeah, it's easy to get his number. I'm sure Elon Musk will be posting it somewhere soon. Uh, (laughs) uh, What else was I going to say? Oh, real quick. Any particular highlights from 2022 for you in terms of any music you heard? Because I had a really interesting interaction uh, with the band Dry Cleaning uh, recently. Oh, yeah. And they expressed to me, we, we finished our, we had a lovely chat. Lovely band. Oh, they're wonderful. But they mentioned specifically when we were done rolling, uh, I had mentioned to them that, oh, yeah, you'll probably be on next week. And I think I sort of was muttering to myself, what else is happening next week? I think Steve Albini's on next week. They're like, oh, you know what? We got a lovely note. From Steve Albini saying he liked the band. Is this true? Well, yeah, there was a. I don't. I don't want to spill beans out of out of school. Um, I, there was a possibility that they were going to be opening some shows for another band. Oh, I see. And so I got in contact with them through their management. The Sleaford Mods manager was able to connect me with their management, and I was able to get in touch with them. Yeah. And I, I think that they're one of the one of the first like genuinely new kinds of stage presence that I've seen in a long time, and I, I just really admire them. And, I mean, their music is great, and I just lo- love the way that that band has sort of organized itself, just like the, the presentation of the music is unique, yeah. and I haven't seen anything unique in a while. I mean, and unique in not just like some tiny academic way, like, oh, yeah, they're using the gamelon or whatever but it's like there's it's like a, a new way to present yeah. music and words which i thought was really great i love them uh, anyways yeah, i love them so much and they've been a revelation i had a couple of those and for me uh, i've said this to a few people and i don't know if you can relate to this one of the things i miss the most about going to shows which i'm still not doing very often if at all is seeing opening bands like ba- ba- yeah, band? stumbling onto things. Yeah, just stumbling. Yeah. I don't have that. I feel like there's such saturation here that it's hard to feel like you're discovering something special. But that's a that's certainly in this year that's been a band where I'm like, oh, I didn't really pay as much attention to this the first time, and now I'm in preparation for an interview. I dug all in. I'm like, this is amazing. So anyway, yeah. some kinship there. Any other quick uh, quickly? Any other highlights from the year, pop culturally or otherwise? Well, there's a new season. Uh, there's an English TV show called uh, "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared." Oh, um, that's a it's a kind of a puppet show. Um, it's it's a hard pu- to explain. A puppet show, kind okay. of a Muppets, <laughs> kind of a Muppets, kind of an abstraction on the Muppets kind of deal. Oh, yes, it's hard to explain. But they've done a couple of series sort of independently. Just then, they got picked up by the BBC to do a series. 
that whole series has apparently been released in the UK, but I can't watch it from the US yet. I'm looking forward to that becoming available on, you know, bootleg environment so that I can watch it. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, great. I appreciate your, uh, your tips and whatnot. Steve, uh, I, I want to wrap up. I think we've, we've got to lots of stuff. I always appreciate you and the time you give me. Uh, normally I go out on a song uh, by a band. Every time I ask you if we can play a shellac song, you say, go nuts. You don't pick anything. I will just briefly say, do you want to pick something or should I pick something? Can we go out on a shellac song? Yeah, feel free. Um, trying to think of what's a good one. Yeah, um, they're they're <laughs> they're all pretty good. Do you guys or still not, play? Yeah. Uh, do you guys still play the song uh, "You Came in Me" live? Yeah, once in a while it had, it's developed into a, there's a little bit of bit of business that's uh, developed where uh, not as an introduction to the song, but prior to the song. I make light of that awkward moment when the old man has to try to explain to his kids about the birds and the bees. Uh, um, this is yeah, so, quite, uh, quite, quite germane to my earlier point, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, okay, I, uh, with, with that in mind, uh, let's play uh, uh, You Came in Me from the excellent Schlack album, uh, Dude Incredible. We dedicate this to my children who had to miss it in the minivan yesterday. Uh, Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being back on the show. I wish hey, you the best of luck. Thanks for having me. We, we'll talk soon, I hope. Thanks again. Yeah. Bye bye. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. 
As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As I'm speaking to you, I'm, I'm wrapping up uh, the ninth year of doing this Creative Control podcast. And as long as I have my facts correct... I can tell you that Steve Albini has been on the show at least once a year in some capacity, whether we're having one of our conversations or I've asked him to be a guest on a conversation that was relevant to him. Always nice to talk to Steve. I, I really value this uh, this relationship we have where we talk every once in a while, and uh, it's fun. So thank you, Steve, for appearing on this, the 741st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever all of you get your podcasts if you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit vishkana.com you can also like creative control on all the social media things well not exactly you can like it on facebook you can follow or follow it you can like or follow it i don't know what you it's on facebook you can also follow the show on twitter at vish creative or you can follow me on twitter and instagram at vishkana Twitter for now, I like to say, because who knows. You can also visit patreon.com slash creative control. Make a flexible monthly donation. Support the making of this podcast. $6 American or more grants you access to exclusive content, uh, including receiving episodes earlier than everybody else, uh, bonus content, uh, older archival content. I dig into my archives and I post things from time to time. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, at that $6 or more a month uh, level. Just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. So again, it doesn't have to be $6 American. It can be lower than that, it can be higher than that, and you can change the amount at any point. It's just uh, a little bit of uh, financial support for the work that goes into the show. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Thanks again also to the uh, wonderful Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order things via their website at blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. All of those places I just mentioned are linked in the podcast description, so hopefully you can click on things to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie uh, for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And if you see him in person, click on him. See what happens. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Steve Albini and for subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about the show and spreading the word about it. It all means a lot. I will talk to you very soon, I hope. Take care of yourself and others and uh, be kind and all those sorts of things if you can. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.